All right, it's episode 3, August 8th, 2023. We're going to talk about the Marathon Worlds a bit, uh, Christopher Blevins, and a local race I attended yesterday, a local muddy race, really muddy race, and a new segment called B&M. That's Bitch and Moan, where I complain about stupid things that really I shouldn't be worrying about. I'd like to give a quick shout out to Weck Auto Group, uh, Kia and Volkswagen car dealers here in Illinois. More about that later, though. Here we go. All right, here we go. Marathon Worlds ended, and in case you didn't already know, Henrique Avancini and Mona Mitterwalner are both world champions. Avancini has won this before, uh, I think two years ago maybe, three years ago, I forget. But um, not his first time, so it's kind of cool. He seems to be a very uh, emotional rider, if you will. Um, so kudos to him. It's kind of interesting. I find it that he can seem to hang the short track with the best of them. He's got that burst of power that works well in short track. Then he comes out on the XCO and blows doors the first half a lap or two and then kind of fades back to, uh, you know, top 10, top 20, whatever it may be. But then he comes to the marathon, you know, several hour race and he, and he wins. So interesting that that's kind of how he must be wired. Uh, Mona Mitterwalner, of course, everybody always says, at least the commentators always seem to say, oh, she's a slow starter. Yeah, she, she definitely doesn't, doesn't race like Yolanda Neff, you know, blast right out of the gate and then fade back a little bit and then come back. She kind of builds up and builds up. She's had some pretty good buildups the last uh, couple races. Got, you know, second here and there. So it's not a surprise at all, in my opinion, that, that, that she won this thing. She seems to be pretty well suited to those longer distances. Um, in case anybody's wondering, that race was 60 miles, whereas well, that's about, what, four times longer maybe, three, four times longer at least than a normal cross-country type race. And it took them, oh, roughly, what did it take them? Five hours for the winning time for for Mona. And 4.14 for Henry Gavancini. So four to five hours for the top guys. That's that's pretty good race. And it looked to be wet. I mean, the, the images, there's not many images out there. There's a few. I put a link on my... Uh, website shorttravelmag.com to the official UCI report where it really was nothing more than about six photos so not a whole lot of information out there if you look at the uh, final results there's a couple interesting names of course you got your Candace Lil uh, silver medal and Adelaide Morath I mean those are the names you hear a lot at the Cape Epic so obviously Cape Epic being a longer event a lot of these people also do the marathon uh, world champs and world cups um, the Canadians Haley Smith and Magalay Rochette uh, 
15th and 22nd. I, I didn't even realize they were doing those, uh, doing that race. So that's kind of cool. Isla Short from Great Britain. And there's, I don't know, a couple extra United States. Uh, I don't recognize the names, but um, that's kind of cool. Uh, I didn't realize that the Canadians were going to do. There's a couple Canadian men in there, too. Same thing with the men. You got your Marcin, Martin Stosek, Lucas Baum, Jose Diaz. I mean, these are all the Fabian Rebensteiner. These are all the names you hear in uh, the Cape Epic. So Albin Lakata. I mean, every single year. Matthew Beers, 20th. Kind of interesting. He was about eight minutes off the win. Uh, yeah, I know he's been training. If you watch the Keegan Swenson and the uh, Finsterwald Instagram pages, he seems to have been in the U.S. all summer long. I'm assuming to do the Lifetime uh, series. And uh, so I thought, you know, maybe he had some road speed in there. He did great. 20th, nothing to sneeze at, but... He's a big name. I don't know. Kind of expected maybe he'd be up in a little higher. There's a bunch of guys from uh, the U.S. there. I don't actually recognize any of them for whatever reason. So that's kind of cool. But other than that, um, it's just mainly the guys from Cape Epic. So that's pretty cool. Um, what else we got? Let's talk about Christopher Blevins for a minute. I just, I don't know if it's true, but rumor has it he crashed and may not be able to race uh, at the short track or the XCO event, which would be a bummer because he's the only male uh, racer in the elites for the U.S., so we'll, we'd have absolutely nobody. Uh, what are you going to do? I don't know if it's true. I checked uh, to look online to see if I could find anything. I, I couldn't. Maybe I didn't look in the right places, but it just kind of led me down a rabbit hole. I was doing some some research on him. And I did not realize, I don't know, I guess I didn't pay attention back in 2016. He won short track at Bonelli Park, uh, California, which was back then, that was a kind of a big deal. He was only 17 years old. So I guess that's kind of when he got on the radar. Um, of course, he raced for Trinity Racing for a while before going to Specialize. So he's got an interesting background. He's He's been competitive at bike sports for a very long time so I was kind of looking forward to see if he could do something uh in Glasgow this year hopefully he'll he'll get get you know get back to a decent shape where he can do something next week uh, I think I heard that he broke a finger that's never good so hope Levins can get it together and maybe we'll see him after all and that's about it. Uh, I'm not going to go into too much more detail. I just encourage you to go do some Googling on on Mr. Blevins because he's got quite a race uh, history that most people probably don't realize. So let's move on to a race that I attended on Sunday. Now there's a, a set of trails here in Chicagoland, Payless. I'm, anybody who's Northwest Indiana, even probably southern Wisconsin, may have heard of Payless. It's a pretty large trail network. It's been there for a very long time. It's actually built uh, in some land and nearby where the, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, where the first nuclear uh, reactor was built, I believe. There's a lot of government agencies and buildings and Manhattan Project and all kinds of connections to this area. 
of the uh, south burbs of Chicago. But last year they had this race. I signed up, paid, and ended up staying in bed because it was absolutely pouring down rain. I mean, ter- I can't even believe they had the race. It was that bad. Um, this year they predicted the exact same thing as a Friday. I thought, oh, great. But they also have a cap, so I hurried up, took a chance, paid my uh, paid my fees online, and then within uh, probably four hours, they were posting that it, in fact, was sold out for my class. The maximum limit had been reached. So I thought, well, geez, now i got to go. Well, of course, it rained the entire drive to the race. It was pouring rain. When I got there, everything was absolutely disgustingly muddy and I really honestly for the first time thought I might just pack up and come on home I thought thought of getting my bike trashed I mean it's pathetic really it's a mountain bike cares about some mud but uh, I ended up doing it 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 wasn't the worst mud in the history of the world I had that happen on a fat bike race a couple years ago but uh, it was a good test. I wanted to see how the SRAM axis shifting worked in the mud. I've had some issues in the past with my chain in the rear derailleur not functioning well in the mud. That's just standard 11-speed uh, XX1. So I thought, well, I hear about how great you know the axis system is in mud. It's always precise. It always works. And... I'd actually have to say there is much truth to that. There was a few times, I'm going to say four times, where it seemed to go to the correct gear when I changed and then kind of go to another gear and then back. It was like a double shift, but I mean, it ended up on a gear within a second. But I could not really say it was you know, anything that didn't work properly kept me going. I didn't have to ever stop and pull a chain off or anything. I mean, I, I looked, you know, I looked at the thing afterwards, took some video, that real derailleur, and it was absolutely a solid ball of mud. So the fact that it actually did shift for the entire race with zero issues, uh, it was true. I really felt like it, it definitely held its own. It's zero problems on that end. Now, let's tires, on the other hand. I have a, a little knobbier front tire I use, um, and I keep what the, I use the Bontrager tires, the XR1, XR2, XR3. They start at one as the, uh, you know, more like the hard pack, almost pavement tires. The two is a little knobbier, three is supposed to be a little knobbier as you go up. Very simple. So I keep a two on the front and one in the back. And this is the older model too, which actually has pretty darn big knobs um, on the front. But I always keep the really smooth XR1 in the back because I usually never need more traction back there. But that really came into play on that race. Boy, when you hit that slick, goopy peanut butter mud, my back tire was was not planted well at all. The front, uh, perfect. I actually had no issues at all. Uh, I could have really used another one of those in the back. And this is uh, an interesting um, side note. I, I just started looking around at the start line while I was waiting and just driving around, uh, you know, the warm-up area. 
this particular race, for some reason, draws less than cross-country bikes, let's say. I mean, there were mega bikes. We're talking 140, 160 travel, giant Fox 38, whatever you want, forks, Olin forks, coil spring shocks, huge knobby 2.4 plus tires, um, very enduro, heavy duty. I almost, I'm no expert. I, they almost look downhill bikes. I'd say the vast majority were these bikes, which seemed way overkill for Payless. I mean, there are parts of Payless which are pretty, pretty gnarly. But still, I was like, wow, you know, what are these dudes doing? This is supposed to be old school cross country. Well, it turns out with all that mud, they probably had a pretty fair advantage over me because their huge tires, the tires weren't packing up with mud. It was wet enough since it was still raining. It was more just slippery and slick. So I was watching some of these guys in front of me riding up things. I flat out could not ride up very fast. So it got me thinking I need to have another set of tires and or wheels ready for truly heavy-duty uh, type events. Got your dry, and I'm going to come up with a serious extreme conditions set because that really would have been quite advantageous to me. Um, what else did I see? SRAM is the sponsor of this event being in chicago and all which makes perfect sense they only had two kind of crappy little tents set up with only a couple stickers uh they had some nice t-shirts i asked the guy if i could get a hold of one and he said no it's for a survey or something uh it's kind of i don't know kind of disappointed i thought they might have something a little more elaborate they had two bikes on display i can't remember which models they were very long travel, down, you know, enduro-type bikes with the new... They both had XO transmission on there. And I got to admit, the cranks, everybody's saying how ugly those uh, XO cranks are with the whole... I, I thought they looked pretty nice. They're kind of deceiving when you look at them from the top. As you look down, they're very thin and chiseled out in the back. Um, I don't know, they look great. They didn't look heavy or anything, so... I mean, that was kind of nice to see that in person, but the thing that struck out, stuck out for me is how gigantic the rear derailleur looks. I don't know why that is. I know it's a different design and all that, but it looked absolutely huge sitting off the back of the bike. Um, not sure if it is physically that much larger than the outgoing stuff, but it, it really did look kind of weird back there so i don't know i would like to try it um probably will eventually since seems like every bike that comes out in the next year or two will probably have that at least the gx stuff um anything over three four thousand dollars anyway so what else um i guess that's about it i did get a t-shirt for the event i don't normally buy t-shirts it's like i i got millions of them but I don't know, these were particularly nice looking, and I was kind of surprised to see that they weren't just a t-shirt, but uh, more of a sh like a riding shirt, the kind that all the young guys, young guns out there wear baggy shorts. You know, they don't wear typical jerseys with the pockets in the back. They wear the loose, 
shirts that are kind of made out of, you know, the wicking fabric. And that's what I ended up with, which is kind of interesting. It's not something I normally would have absolutely any use for. I, I need my pockets, but I did get a couple things in from Gore that I'm going to be testing soon. And I thought they were going to be, they were bibs and shorts. Turned out they're the liner bibs and liner shorts, something I wear under um, the baggies. So I'm trying to assemble a set of baggies, and now I have a jersey to wear so I can look like a regular mountain bike enduro guy and go try them out. Never know. Maybe I have something to wear other than my normal uh, roadie-type bibs and jerseys. going to be kind of interesting to see how that goes. And that's it for right now. Let's take a quick break. Once again, I'd like to give a shout-out to the Weck Auto Group, Kyle Weck. He was a uh, sponsor of the three-race Chicagoland Mountain Bike Series this year. Normally, it's just the one race. They have now have three. So that's cool that he's committed to the sport. Uh, top sponsor, actually. This only applies to people uh, in the Burbs, of course. Uh, Volkswagen of Palatine and Elgin Kia, two suburbs of Chicago, Elgin and Palatine. Um, very nice, very nice. Uh, he had a couple people in the booth with him. Killer swag, I gotta say. I walked out of there with a whole bag full of stuff. Very cool. So if you are in the market for a Volkswagen or a Kia, uh, you might want to give them a, a ring. They are mountain bike friendly, to say the least. It's very cool to see uh, them and not just have a, a sponsor just for the, throw some money, but actually be a mountain biker. Um, we talked about some of the trails up near the Elgin uh, area that he and I have both ridden. So good job, Kyle. Hope to... Uh, Talk to you soon. Weck Auto Group. W-A-G-D-E-A-L-E-R. Wagdealer.com. Thanks. All right. One last thing to talk about. This is the B&M. The Bitch and Moan segment. And I like to bitch and moan about the fees to enter these cross-country, the local races. This year it seems to have taken a larger jump than in years past. Check some some of my um, records, you know, 40 to 50 bucks seemed to be the going rate. Uh, this last one I signed up for up in Wisconsin was, with fees, um, $78, I think it was. And... That's with a $15 one-day license from USA Cycling, which used to be $10 in a couple years ago, last time I noticed. So that went up 5 bucks. That's a 50% increase for a one-day license, which, you know, I get it, but USA Cycling also used to only charge 55 bucks, I believe, for a one-year racing license. And now it's 110 so I'd have to race at least eight races, seven or eight races, to even break even on that license fee. I might as well just pay the 15 bucks in case I don't go to some of the races for weather purposes or whatever. So I'm guessing next year it'll be 
$88. And then pretty soon it'll be 100 bucks to race, you know, a sport class at a local cross-country race. That seems like a lot in the scheme of things. I could be wrong. It's an eight-race series up there in Wisconsin. So they do have a deal if you sign up for the whole series, you save a few bucks, but a couple of them are just too far away. I would never take a six-hour road trip. Um, I just can't do that. So I really only end up racing three or four of them a year. So I might as well just pay the 15 bucks, 80 bucks, uh, whatever. It's just I kind of missed the $40, $50 days. That seemed like an didn't even think much of it, but the price of gas now over four bucks again where I'm at. It's a two and two and a half, sometimes almost three hour drive each way to the race. Um, then I got to bring some food, and it ends up being you know a hundred and a half by the time I get home. Uh, it adds up, so I guess it ain't coming down anytime soon. That's why this is called bitch and moan. I have absolutely no solutions other than me not going, which, of course, is always an option. I don't have to pay it. They can charge kind of whatever they want because it's either you want to do it or you don't. And I'm sure they've got justification for it. Everything else, I know. Everything's expensive now. Insurance, yeah, yeah, okay, I get it. That doesn't mean I have to be thrilled with it and and just, you know, not complain. I can complain. It's a free country. Complain all you want. So that's it. I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to do an interview tomorrow with uh, a local racer who, as I said, uh, the last episode is kind of on his way up the ladder. At least I think he is. He had some pretty good luck at the U.S. Nationals a few weeks ago. So look forward. Uh, I might have that ready for Friday. We'll see. If not, for sure, the week after. Got a couple other interesting things coming up, so make sure to uh, subscribe to this podcast if you want. If not, that's okay, too. I know these aren't the best. I'm, I'm learning as I go. So keep riding. Talk to you soon.